Please be seated. I want to thank Oren again for being so awesome. <laughs> Thanks for coming out and serving us and leading us in, in, in singing. And I'm glad that we're not blowing away this time that you're here. <laughs> um, this will be, you guys are going to hear this announcement a lot, this will be our last service here um, outside because uh, thanks to God's providence and the hard work of our building committee, especially Sharon who found the building where we had service last week for Easter is going to be where we, uh, where we have service going forward. And it, that's pretty, I know, it's pretty darn amazing. It's a beautiful place and we're very blessed to be there. Um, so if you show up here next week, you're welcome to do so, but you will be alone. Might be one other person who doesn't read emails or listen to me. Um, but uh, also another announcement, I, I sent this out, but you know, as we're getting more back to normal, you're gonna be uh, hearing about our volunteer teams, which are really essential. We're not a big staff church where we have people who work for the church doing all these things. It really depends on us. Um, so uh, again, there's no pressure to be part of these teams, but if you are uh, capable, available, uh, your help is certainly needed. All right, let's get into God's Word together. Um, open your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Now, if you uh, are unfamiliar and, and are like, hey, where, where is that? So there's Old Testament, which is the first three quarters of the Bible. That's on the left. And then your New Testament, which is the back quarter. Um, 1 Corinthians is kind of in the middle of the New Testament. Um, if you hit 1 John or Revelation, you've gone too far. Turn back. Um, but let's pray together before we begin. Jesus, I pray that through your word, you would transform us, that, that you would begin to give us greater understanding of your ways, greater understanding of, what, of, of, of how to walk with you. And may you bless us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, sometimes we can forget that people in, in positions of great responsibility are just regular people. Uh, Harry, Harry Truman used to run a hat store. And when he was asked to be the vice presidential candidate with FDR, he, he was a newcomer. He was really inexperienced. He hadn't done much more than local politics in Missouri. It's okay, that's my kids. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, but everything, he thought, you know, no big deal. This is a great honor and, and it'll be fine because this was FDR's fourth election and he had already served three terms. Now, you have to remember, this is the 1944 election. So the, the nation was in the midst of the worst crisis, World War II, that the world had ever known. But the steady hand of FDR was there. And so, you know, Harry Truman was like, I'll just, <laughs> that'll be fine. I'll just learn the ropes. Three months after they were sworn in, Harry Truman gets a phone call saying to rush over to the White House. Something's happened to the president. And so Harry Truman, try and imagine this, like puts shoes on and legs it. No secret service, no car. He runs through the streets of Washington to the White House and he rushes to the Oval Office and he's waiting in there and the, the tall stately form of Eleanor Roosevelt walks in and tells him that the president has died. 
and and he he looks at her and 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 he says i'm i'm so sorry is there anything i can do for you eleanor roosevelt looks at him sympathetically walks up places her hand on his shoulder and says no mr president is there anything i can do for you and that moment the weight of the responsibility that Harry Truman had just inherited fell on him like a ton of bricks. He, he sat down on the couch. He put his face in his hands and started weeping and saying, I, I can't. I'm not a big enough man. I can't do this. Now, hopefully, you never find yourself exactly in Harry Truman's shoes. But all of us, sooner or later, are going to encounter situations where our wisdom and our ability to cope with it is too small for the situation. And, and really, if you think about it, we're hitting these things all the time. This is an essential part of life. If you want to know how to overcome the issues you inherited from your childhood, you know what you need? You need wisdom. You want to know how to get past a relational blockage or conflict that seems unresolvable? You need wisdom. You want to know how, how the church is going to raise up the next generation responsibly? You know what we need for that? You guessed it. Wisdom. If we want to be able to order a society in which all human beings flourish, we again are in need of wisdom. And again and again, we are going to come to the place where the situation is too big for our wisdom. What do we do then? How do we get wisdom? Well, the good news that we're going to see in God's word is that God's wisdom is for every believer. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now, that might sound like there's a class of super believers called the mature. And some people make this mistake that, you know, the deeper wisdom of the faith is just for these more mature people. When Paul uses the word mature, he means every believer. Sometimes he'll, he'll remind people they're being immature in the same way you will tell an adult, you're acting like a child, you're a grown-up, can we please stop, right? That, that's the idea there. But, but God's wisdom, the wisdom they impart is for the mature, that is every believer. And we're going to see that throughout this passage that we're going to be in, he uses this we language again and again emphasizing that God's wisdom belongs to the community. We even look down, just look with me real quick at verse 12. He says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things what freely given us by God. So it's not the idea that there's some sort of velvet rope behind which the wisdom of God lies. God's wisdom is available to every believer. And when we are in need of wisdom, we need to seek God's wisdom. How do we do that? And where do we get it? Uh, first of all, God's wisdom is in the coming age, not the present one. God's wisdom is in the coming age, not the present one. Look with me at verse 6 again. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, 
or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So he first talks about a wisdom that is passing away, that belongs to this age that is passing away. In previous sermons, I talked about the wisdom tradition of the Greco-Roman world. They thought themselves very wise and advanced. They were indeed quite sophisticated and eloquent and all the rest of it. But Paul says all of these rulers, the Roman Empire and the rest of it, that is all part of, uh, uh, that is a passing wisdom. It It belongs to the age that is passing away. And then there is a permanent wisdom. Look at verse 7. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, that word age, ionos, you you know, like eon, you can hear that word in there. It, It refers to this really key New Testament concept of the present evil age, that's the age of death, despair, and war that comes after the fall of humankind. And then there is the coming age that he's talking about here, this age of glory. I love this word glory. The, the, the Old Testament word that stands behind it, kabod, can literally be translated weighty. If you've ever heard of the C.S. Lewis essay, The Weight of Glory, that's what he's hitting on, that there's this, there's a wisdom that isn't temporary and passing away. It's permanent. It's eternal. It's not only before the ages, but it belongs to the age to come. Now, the permanent wisdom, this weighty wisdom, cannot be found in the passing age. That's what Paul says in verse 8. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. The very wisest people of this age, they don't get it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You hear that word again, you see? So when the Roman government, when the the wisest people in the world, wise according to the passing age, see the weighty wisdom of God in a human being that is Jesus, what do they do? They crucified him. They don't get it. So we cannot look for God's wisdom in the age that is passing, only in the age to come. Now, this is a little confusing, and, um, but this is a really key concept, that there is the passing age and the coming age, and right now we live in a time where they overlap. It's kind of like if you've ever been at a party or a wedding where there's a DJ, and everybody's dancing, right? A, a, a DJ will fade in a new song while the old song is fading out. There is a time where the song that is going out and the song that's coming in play at the same time, right? Makes sense? That's kind of the idea. There's a passing age and a coming age, and right now they are happening at the same time. And furthermore, to stretch this to absurdity, <laughs> let's pretend that, you know, there's a dance that goes with the song, like, like the song going out is Funky 16 Corners. You guys don't know that one. The Whip Nene. Okay, Whip Nene's going out, Hit the Quan's coming in, and there are certain people who are still doing the whip nay when Hit the Quan's coming in, looking at the people doing Hit the Quan, saying, you're doing the wrong dance. They say, no, we're dancing to the song coming in, not the one going out. It's the same with the wisdom that belongs to this age and the wisdom that is coming with the kingdom of God, the age to come. And so if we are looking for wisdom in the passing age, we will not find God's wisdom there. There is a wisdom that belongs to the world that is not God's wisdom. How do we know the difference? If we want to increase our own wisdom 
and rely on God's wisdom, how do we distinguish between the two? Well, one thing we need to be really careful of is confusing wisdom with information. We, right now, have greater wisdom at, at our fingertips than the in entire ancient world had in all of its libraries, okay? We are drowning in information, and we are thirsting for wisdom. We, we, we have more available to us, and we know less and less what to do with it. We also need to distinguish between expertise and wisdom. You could find someone who really knows finances. You could find someone who's a subject matter expert on, I don't know, coding or something like that, right? So there's, there, there are specialized fields of knowledge. It's not the same as wisdom. When our culture starts to tell us how to be a human being, when our culture starts telling us who God is, what the nature of reality is, that is where we need to, to, to say, no, that is, that is wisdom that belongs to an age that is passing. And if you think about this, this is really true. How old is God's revealed wisdom in the scriptures? Like the, the Old Testament goes all the way back to around the 1440s BC. Okay, and here we are. What's the math on that? That 3,600 years? Am I right? Who could do 3,400? <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty obvious. Like 3,400 years, God's wisdom stands, and we're still searching it and being guided by it. How many times has human wisdom had a new iteration? This is the new wisdom, and we're smart, right? Like every five years, I think. You know, it, 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 what, what Paul says, he says this wisdom is passing away and passing away, and passing away. How many times has human wisdom simply passed away? Every few years, we say, no, that's wrong. We got something smarter now. The, what Paul is counseling us to do is to seek God's wisdom not in the current age, but in God's coming age. Okay? But how do we get it? All right, do we know where not to look? How do we become more wise? Well, God's wisdom, we're going to see, this is a big section and very important. God's wisdom is in the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 10 through 11. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So he begins by saying the Holy Spirit knows all of God. Now, that's, that's kind of mind-boggling. I got a little freaked out when I was really meditating on this part of, like, when we reflect that God holds the cosmos, that God created the cosmos, reality, God created human beings, God created life itself, and I'm getting a little weirded out right now. The Holy Spirit knows the entirety of the depths of God, okay? And next we see that we have received that Spirit. Look with me at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the th things freely given us 
by God. Now, when we receive this spirit that knows the totality of God exhaustively, it begins to transform us. Look at verses 13 through 15. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, that word spiritual does not mean someone who does yoga. I'm not saying that doing yoga makes you non-spiritual, but that would be a very foreign concept to the New Testament. Spiritual doesn't mean you're just into spiritual things. It means of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So when every time, you know, the spirit, the spiritual, it only and ever means of the Holy Spirit. It, what, what, what Paul is saying is that we have received a spirit that, that teaches us God's wisdom. That simply by receiving the spirit, we begin to grow. We begin to transform it. It's kind of like um, after our house fire, uh, you know, a year and a half ago now, it was, it was all in shambles, right? Our house flooded and everything. And then our contractor got to work. Jerry, great guy. But he's just in there pulling old stuff out, ripping old stuff out, fixing things, putting up new things. And just by, him be, just by his presence being there and being at work, this thing transforms into a whole new house. That's the same idea, is that part of how we seek the wisdom of God is by simply walking with God, by having the Spirit, by receiving the Spirit who transforms us. When we are being operated on by the Spirit, when we cooperate, the, the Holy Spirit makes us wiser. When you encounter a new situation, God grows you up through that situation. Rejoice when you hit something where you come to the end of the wisdom and end of your wisdom. You know why? Because God is about to grow your wisdom. You are going to rise to that situation because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be really, uh, really clear about something because there can be bad teaching, a bad understanding of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we, we talk about someone who is spirit-filled as someone who just kind of walks around, you know, like saying things like, I have a word from the Lord for you. Now, I'm all for words from the Lord, but... A lot of the time, the person who tells you that they're spirit-filled and have a word from the Lord for you is just trying to manipulate you, and they've convinced themselves that God told them something. Do you want to know how to actually identify the spirit-filled? It, you know, you can, you, it's all, I'm all good with speaking in tongues during worship and, and, and worshiping enthusiastically. That is not how we tell if someone is spirit-filled. There is one test. Are they holy. It is, after all, the Holy Spirit. The operation and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the only true test is, is this person growing? Is this person wise? Is this person, does this person feel like Jesus? Are they patient? Are they gracious? Are they loving? Are they kind? Do the people they lead flourish or are they stomping on them? We need to seek God's wisdom in the Holy Spirit. 
where those sirens were loud. So sometimes, the, sometimes our what to do is not a we do. It's a let God do. It's to cooperate with what God is already doing in giving us the Holy Spirit. But also, we have a concrete example. You guys, we're not going to get this again. We're going to be at a fancy building. There won't be this fun. Like this, the soji won't run to the street anymore. Dogs won't throw up during worship. I'm going to miss this. <laughs> we won't be blown away nearly. Who's a good dog? Um, so, uh, but there's also a concrete example. There is a path to walk. God's wisdom, Paul tells us, is in Jesus. Look at verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, Paul really stresses in, in the, the, the text we were looking at a couple of weeks ago, he stresses that Jesus is the wisdom of God. The cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. And, you know, for, for those of us who want to walk this path of wisdom, we need look no further than Jesus, especially, Paul says, Jesus as he goes to the cross. It's kind of like um, when I'm trying to figure out a song by ear on guitar, sometimes I, I can't. And so I'll look up someone who knows how to play it on YouTube, you know, some guitar teacher. I see what they do, and then I know how to do it. Same idea. If we want to see God's wisdom in a human life lived out. We look at Jesus. Now this, this when he says we have the mind of Christ, we, you could translate the mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ going to the cross? It's other-centered. It's obedient to God. It's humble. It's loving. It's forgiving. Right? And we just made a good list of, of things that we want to see grow in us to make us wise. Like, there, there's a reason we're called Christians. It means little Christs, followers of Jesus, because not only do we receive the work of Christ, but we also seek to follow the example of Christ that we too are going to ask in whatever situation. Whatever situation comes up for you in a relationship, in, um, in, 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 in a difficult decision that you have to make, like the, the, the right questions to be asking are, how can I honor God? What decision is God honoring? What decision is gracious? What decision is forgiving? What decision is being made out of my pride? And what would a humble decision look like? You see how just thinking about Jesus going to the cross that way of the cross is also the way of wisdom. We need to seek God's wisdom in Jesus. Now, when I say that I've experienced this in real life, I hope you don't think I'm commending myself. Because the truth is, I am not a naturally wise person. <laughs> okay, and, and you know what? Wisdom... In biblical terms, it doesn't mean insight. You might think of some guru with a beard at the top of a mountain, you know, like just saying profound things. That's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is how do you walk? What's the path that you walk? And I've experienced how God's wisdom actually is available to every believer. I remember it was on uh, Sharon and my first anniversary. 
we were about to go out, you know, to celebrate her anniversary, and, and she says, hey, I have something for you. I was like, okay. She hands me a little gift bag, and I pull out a pink onesie that says Daddy's Girl <laughs> on it. And, we, and, you know, it was her way of telling me that we were, we were pregnant. She was actually a month along already. And I was elated. I was excited, right? Like I w- and then I immediately freaked out, too, because I realized I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a father. I'm not sure I know how to be a husband. To, to give you a little background, like I had gone through a divorce. My parents were divorced. I had literally no clue. I did not gain the wisdom of how to be a spouse or a father growing up how I grew up. And I'm prone to do really foolish things. As anyone who knows me will tell you, I'm, like I said, I'm not naturally wise. All I had to go on was the wisdom available to me as a follower of Jesus. And, uh, you know, by no means have I been a f- perfect father or spouse. But so far, so good. <laughs> Right. I, I, I mean, I never thought I could be a pastor or anything like that. It is all what I've been able to do, however imperfectly, has been because God has grown me. I have taken I have sought God's wisdom. And the, see, we're going to miss this. We really are. That was weird. <laughs> I was a little worried for there uh, there for a second. That it was really going to go down. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'd swear well, I'm, I'm wrapping up here, guys. <laughs> uh, now I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. Uh, but for you, as you come to places in your life where your wisdom is not enough, whether it's... Amen.